So again, that passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. If you have House Bible, the page number is 561. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, Cross. Doing? Good, good. Well, hey, who's winning tonight? Who's, who's rooting for Kansas City tonight? Anybody? Anybody? Some chief fans? All right. Who's rooting for San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. We got an even split. How many of you don't care? Yeah. All right. All right. Now, this morning I had Eduardo on record. He said that if Caesar buys him the onesie and San Francisco wins, he's going to wear the onesie to church this morning or next, next Sunday morning. So that's on record. Now, is it reversed? If if Kansas City wins and you buy him the onesie, will Caesar wear that to church next Sunday morning? That's, that's confirmed. All right. Thus says the guys who voted on it. All right. Good. Um, well, hey, we're entering into uh, the Word of God this morning. And, uh, you know, tonight is kind of a national holiday, um, a celebration of sports. And, um, but... This morning, I want to dial our hearts in together by asking you this question. Where do you find yourself today? In your emotions, in your feelings, in your life physically, spiritually, mentally, where do you find yourself today? I'll uh, maybe help you answer that question by answering the question myself. Um, This morning, I was... uh, just, they were singing the song we're going to have later after communion, um, how great the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. And as they were doing that song, I was reminded that it was a year ago, Super Bowl Sunday, my dad was with us in church, and um, it was the last time I saw my dad healthy um, before he passed away. And it really hit for the reason of reminding me of the grace that God has shown me since then. And had asked, I had to ask myself the question, is the ground that I'm standing on the rock-solid word of Jesus Christ? I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know uh, what, what your life, uh, what, what has transpired in your life in the last week. But the same question that is true of me is true of you. Is your life standing on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ? This is why we open our Bibles and we go word by word, verse by verse through the Scriptures. Uh, You've got two verses this morning. We're going to spend a good amount of time on that. And those two verses that are given to us in 2 Corinthians unpack the heartbeat of God for the church in Corinth. That was given so long ago. And it also unpacks the heart for God for our church today. And so as we dive into the word, let's allow our feet to be standing on the rock solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. 
Father, I ask that you would help us, Lord. You would lead us to the place of that sure foundation. God, we, we need you here this morning. Far beyond who wins the Super Bowl tonight, Lord, we need your victory every waking moment of every day. And we know, Lord, that you've already won. And in that victory, God, there's a promise. And the promise is that those who cling to you by faith will not be forsaken, but will forever be lifted up and resurrected again with the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you help us? In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen. So there's a pastor, his name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. He had a class called Lectures to My Students that ended up turning into a book. And in the book, I read these words, and it caused me to pause for a moment, because as I read these words as a pastor, it would cause anybody in ministry to pause for a moment and ask the question. Here's what he says. He says, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. He said, if any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer or farmer or a doctor or a lawyer or a senator or a king, in the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. So Charles Spurgeon is describing some of the painful realities of ministry. It is an all-encompassing work being a pastor. It takes everything out of you, mind, emotion, willpower. It can be absolutely wearing upon a person. Now there's incredible joys, there's incredible benefits, there's incredible graces, there's celebrations that you look to, but you have to hold the good with the bad and receive them all as the call that God has upon your life. There is no other person, I believe, in human history outside of Jesus Christ who knew this better than the Apostle Paul. When you read the Apostle Paul's words, you read the words of a ferocious shepherd who is guarding the sheep, but you also read the words of a man who's deeply committed to the people he's shepherding. So that when there's a loss, it's a loss that's felt personally. When there's a loss, it's not just simply a, a, a writing off as a business expense. It's a, a loss of a soul that was shepherded by the labor of love. And so as we open the book of 2 Corinthians, we realize that Paul is writing a letter to a troubled church. In fact, the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians, you could call them letters to a troubled church. It was a church that was uh, increasingly problematic for the apostle. He spent a year and a half with uh, the church in Corinth to establish the church. And yet he felt the weight of their rejection as they rejected Paul as a pastor, as they rejected Paul as an apostle, and as they rejected the message that he preached. And we see as the apostle Paul is writing to the church that he says to them, you rejected me, but I did not seek retaliation, nor 
did I withdraw, but I opened my heart to you. And that's perhaps one of the most challenging things that a pastor can ever do. When you're rejected, and it's not only a pastor, it's our lives as well. When you're rejected, will you retaliate? Will you withdraw? Or will you open your heart and allow God to move in ways that only he can as you rely upon him? And this is the way that the Apostle Paul pastored the church in Corinth. First, I want to talk about the city of Corinth, kind of the context surrounding the letter that's being written into. Uh, The city of Corinth was a strategic location to Uh, for Paul to plant the gospel, make disciples, and start a church. A very strategic location. It was the third largest city in this time period in the Roman Empire. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, and there was Corinth. It was also a port city, uh, meaning that it was hustling and bustling as a trade route. And so there was a lot of business people in and out of the city. There was goods and services that were uh, being, uh, that were, the merchants were laboring for. It was a tourist destination. If you look up modern day Corinth in Greece, it is a beautiful place. And it was in Rome. It was a place where uh, social status was not based upon your family. In much of the Roman world, if you were born into a family uh, that had a social status, that determined your social status. So there wasn't a lot of upward mobility. But in Corinth, it wasn't that. In Corinth, you could have upward mobility and it wasn't determined by the social status of the family that you were born into. It was a way to make a name for yourself. It was a way to enter into a place and rise up the ranks of society. The people that made up Corinth were uh, ex-Roman soldiers. So many of the Roman soldiers uh, could get a better bang for their buck in Corinth than they could in Rome. And so they moved to Corinth in order to start businesses and to uh, allow their family to flourish. Freedmen uh, also were those who made up the population of Corinth. They were those who purchased their freedom from slavery. It was the best place in order to uh, cultivate a business in life that was away from the former life of their slave, uh, of being slaves. And then another, um, another group of people was really anybody who felt stuck in life. If you felt like you were stuck in life and there were things hindering you from advancing in the place that you were in, Corinth offered you the promise that you could make it here. If you work hard, if you do your best, you can make it here. You can be somebody in Corinth. Now where Corinth was a city of opportunity, it was also a city that was filled with oppression. Where opportunity abounds, so does the propensity for oppression. One third of the city was uh, either impoverished or enslaved. One third of the population of Corinth, which was a massive amount of people, was either impoverished or enslaved. It was a city that was filled with cult religions. There was not one God. It was about many gods. It was also a city that was filled for the famous temple of Aphrodite in which there were a thousand prostitutes that were the slave prostitutes, the temple prostitutes that could be purchased in order for, a way, for the way 
of the temple to make money. It was a city that was notoriously self-centered. The motivation for Corinth was personal achievement and social advancement. Because it was for uh, selfish reasons that people sought advancement in their uh, personal achievement, other people, particularly the one-third that were impoverished or enslaved, were treated as expendable as long as they advanced you. So this is the culture in which the Apostle Paul is coming and declaring the gospel and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And so next, I want to tell you a little bit of the story about Paul. So Paul, whenever he uh, came into a new city, he, ha- he had a, uh, some steps that he would follow. And one of the steps that he would do is he would first, he would find the Jewish temple. He would see what kind of Jewish faith existed there because what Paul was doing is he was looking for handles uh, that he could apply the gospel to. So whenever he found the Jewish temple, he knew that there was a background of, of, uh, uh, of scripture that was there and he could use the scriptures to point to the fulfillment of the scriptures in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so he always sought to find where is the temple because that's the first place he started to preach. The second thing he did was he would look at where the the city center was, the marketplace, uh, the place where the religions gathered. And when he looked at those places, he would watch the movements of the people. He would watch, uh, he he would do an analysis on what are some of the idols that exist here? What are some of the things that I could preach about the glory of God that triumphs over idolatry that exists in the city? And then he would start in the temple preaching and proclaiming the person Jesus Christ as the Messiah whom the Old Testament prophets told us about. And there would be Jewish converts. Typically, a few Jewish converts would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Most of the the Jews in the temple would reject Paul. He would wipe the dust off of his shoulders and then he would go into the marketplace and then he would preach salvation that is found in Jesus Christ that's better than any of the idols that this world is seeking to offer you any of the things that this world is trying to sell you. And as a result of that, with the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts, those are non-Jews, Paul would establish the church. And then he would begin to disciple these people. And the discipleship in the city of Corinth took a year and a half. And as he discipled these people, he would lay down the foundations for the gospel and how the gospel applied to everyday life and how as people of God, we are called to relate to one another and relate to the world around us. And he would raise up elders and deacons and leaders. And as he did that, he would one day leave them and continue to pastor them by writing letters, which we have here in the letter of 2 Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians is the sequel. Actually, it's not the second letter, believe it or not. There's actually four letters uh, to the church of Corinth. We only have two of them. The first letter we don't have. The second letter is 1 Corinthians. The third letter we don't have. The fourth letter is 2 Corinthians. And so you see that the church of Corinth, if you were to add up all the words of Paul's letters, even just 1 and 2 Corinthians, it is his longest epistle. It is the one that Paul spent the most time on. This church was a church that had issues and problems that required Paul's 
immediate attention. And Paul cared very much for the church. Most commentators and scholars will tell you, out of all of Paul's letters, the Pauline epistles, the the, uh, second Corinthians is the one that is most deeply personal and heartfelt. So Paul put his everything in uh, to this letter. So let's look here and unpack the the word uh, of God. So you have Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, starting with the word Paul. Now, I, I know you're just like, that's his name. He's just announcing that he's the author. And it's true, it's just his name, and he's announcing that he's the author. But there's something more significant to the name Paul than your eyes see on the page. There's the story of a man who's been changed by Jesus. Paul. If you know the story of Paul, he wasn't always Paul. He used to be Saul of Tarsus. If there was a top 10 terrorist list against the church, Paul was on it. He was the top one. He was the one who sought to persecute the Christians, to imprison them, and to see them destroyed. He was the Osama bin Laden of the Christian church as it got started. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ. How in the world did he go from Saul of Tarsus, enemy of the gospel, destroyer of Christians, to Paul, a champion of the gospel, one who sought the flourishing of the church by the planting of the church? There is this incredible work that happened in the apostle's life that Demands we pay attention to today. Because here's what this tells us about our life. Number one, no one is too far from the saving hand of Jesus Christ to bring salvation to you. No one is too far. Do you hear that? Nobody. There is no one that is too bad that Jesus can't save you. And lest I remind you that you are so bad that Jesus had to die. But at the same time, you are so dearly loved that Jesus gladly died. Number two, it reminds us that there is a moment in life where we go from death to life. Where our eyes were once blind, but now they see. That happened. For you, it might have happened when you were four years old and you, you bowed down by your bedside with your mom or your dad or a family member leading you through the sinner's prayer. And that is a glorious moment of hope and redemption. Or, or maybe like me, it was going to college and realizing that the Jesus that I knew wasn't the real Jesus And I had to learn who the real Jesus was so that I could truly worship him and give my life to him. And for me, it was realizing that my life was not submitted to Jesus Christ, but a Jesus of my own imagination. And the real Jesus grabbed me and brought me to himself. And I said, I want my life to be lived for the glory of God. And so there's this watershed moment in our lives to where God does something. He, once you were blind, but now you see he changes you. And number three, number three, it means that that offer is good today. It stands true today. That no matter where you're 
at in life. The grace of God can grip you afresh and anew today, right now. We often look at the world in terms of good and bad. There's the good guys and the bad guys. There's a few problems with that way of thinking. Number one, we always assume we're part of the good guys. Number two, the Bible doesn't declare that there's any good guys, right? Bible says no one is righteous. No, not one. And so Christianity is for people who desperately see that they need a savior. That was the church of Corinth. They were jacked up people in need of a savior. And so are we. And so the offer of grace in Jesus Christ that was given to the terrorist of Tarsus is extended to us today by the saving work of Jesus Christ. Paul was a um, uh, Paul was an apostle. Uh, this is an interesting story, and um, it was one of the one of the big areas that I gained. I really felt God working in my time of study this week. Is you had the twelve apostles who were the twelve disciples that were alongside of Jesus, laboring him with him in their, his earthly ministry. Remember, Jesus came to the disciples and he said, come and follow me. You're, you're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. I'm going to make you fishers of people. And they followed him and they became Jesus's disciples. They were with him three years of his earthly ministry. They watched Jesus's nails, hands being nailed to the cross. Some of them may have seen him die. And then there were also those who saw Jesus resurrected with their own eyes. Thomas, Jesus came to, and he took his hand and he put it in his, his hand and he put it in his side to show the legitimacy of his death and his resurrection. And then they were commissioned for an apostleship to where they would go and tell the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ through the Great Commission. Paul wasn't there. He wasn't one of the 12. And so some would say, because Paul wasn't one of the 12, that doesn't make him an apostle. That doesn't make his authority legitimate. But it does make his authority legitimate because Paul himself uh, did see himself the resurrected Christ who came to him while he was going to persecute the church and he knocked him off of his high horse and he told him who he was and he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then the call of Paul that was given uh, in Acts 15 and 16 by the man Ananias, Jesus said to him, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, here's why this was significant for me. You had 12 apostles who represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Is there any room for a 13th apostle? Why would... Why would Jesus commissioned and ordained a 13th apostle because there are those who were outside of the 12 tribes of Israel who had not heard the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, whom God would choose and send an apostle to go and tell of what he has done for them. And so the apostle Paul is the 13th apostle, the apostle for the Gentiles, 
all those who formerly would not be able to know this message of salvation that was given to the Jews, but now would know that it's the blood of Christ that unites not only Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. And as Pastor Josiah said in our opening this morning, a multicolored, multi-generational, multi-ethnic people for himself of every nation, tribe, and tongue, that he would suffer for his sake. And this is a significant message that the Apostle Paul would bring to the church of Corinth. Next, we see that the, the church of Corinth, little history about the church. It says here, to the church of God that is, in, that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. The Achaia was the province, Corinth was the city, and there, were, uh, there was one church in Corinth, but there were multiple churches, house churches, uh, surrounding the provinces that this church would have been associated with. And the problem that Paul was facing with the church of Corinth is that they rejected his apostleship. That means they rejected his authority. That, mean the, that means the man who planted the church, who discipled the members, was now the man that these people did not want to be a part of their life. And there's a few reasons for that. They had false teachers that were coming in, and these false teachers had a lot better, uh, uh, were a lot better speakers than the Apostle Paul. You know, maybe Paul stuttered, maybe he didn't have eloquent speech, but it was unattractive to the people of Corinth compared to who Paul calls the super apostles. He's using sarcasm when he says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then there were, Paul also had, he had a, a, an appearance that wasn't like everyone else because he went through so much suffering and persecution that made Paul not easy to look at. And so they demeaned him because of that. They demeaned him because of his suffering because if this man's an apostle, a servant of Jesus Christ, how can he have gone through so much suffering and received the blessing of God? That's not the blessing of God. That's the curse of God. And so they rejected him on that account. And so they rejected Paul as a person, they rejected Paul as an apostle, they rejected Paul as a pastor, and they saw his message as not credible and not worth listening to. And Paul writes to tell them in 2 Corinthians, this is the sum of his letter, if you reject me as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and you reject my message that's given to me on his authority, then you reject Jesus Christ himself. That was the message that the Apostle Paul brought to the church of 2 Corinthians. Now that might cause you to pause for a minute and say, really? If you reject Paul, you reject Jesus? And to which I would argue, yes. Because you have the word of God here. And the word of God that is given by the Spirit of God through the Apostle is the living, unchanging word of God for today. And so yes, to reject the words of the apostle are to reject the very words of Christ because they're one of the same. And so in our world, listen, in our world today, there is very much a rejection of the apostle Paul's words. 
How could this words that were given so long ago to apply to our world today? Our society is so much further advanced than it was 2,000 years ago. Why in the world would I ever listen to the blabbering apostle who knows nothing about 20, 21st century United States of America? But I would argue that it, it knows, he knows everything that is needed to know and he speaks it here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, did, did not, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That was his message to the church. Don't let your salvation rest in the wisdom of man, which were some of the super apostles trying to sway them away from the testimony of the Lord, but let it rest in the power of God. Timothy Savage is an author uh, and a commentator. He said five marks would have been evident of the church of Corinth because they were evident in the city of Corinth. This would be, these five marks would summarize the way the people of Corinth see themselves or even uh, compare themselves to their peers. He says, one, there was a rugged individualism and self-sufficiency. Number two, wealth was a key to status in society. Number three, there was a self-display of accomplishments and possessions in order to win the praise of others. Number four, there was a competition for honor that viewed boasting as natural and necessary. And they had things like Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and all the other social media apps that you could think of. They didn't. Number five, you knew that though. Number five, uh, there was a pride in where you lived, the location of where you lived that reflected your social status in society. So if you lived in a certain part of the city, it mean that you had a certain status in society. I, I read these things and I think, is this Orlando he's talking about? Th this isn't Corinth here. Is this the United States? Because it sounds like the world that we live in today. A rugged independence and self-sufficiency, wealth as a key to status in society, a self-display of accomplishments and possessions in order to win people over. This isn't Corinth. This is 21st century United States of America where we boast not in our weaknesses, but our strength. And we've got to put them on display if we're going to have any kind of social status in the world around us. And Paul, he takes that, and by his own life and his own testimony, he crushes it for the church of Corinth. Because Paul's response to the church of Corinth in their rejection of him was not to create a LinkedIn account with all of his accomplishments and list them from the greatest to the least. That was in his response. Paul's response, which is the thrust of the book, was 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, says Jesus. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that his weaknesses was God's flexing power. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. That when he was weak, God was shown to be made strong. And so rather than go with the Corinthian playbook and try to say, here's why I'm an apostle, he says, you're right. I'm weak and I need God's Holy Spirit more than any of you. But I tell you what, I will never stop boasting in my weaknesses because it's in the boasting of my weaknesses that the power of God is seen as sufficient. And that was Paul's life. That was his manifesto. He took it to the grave. When the sword came down over his head, he was boasting in his weaknesses and the surpassing power of Christ by his Holy Spirit. And this is the ministry that shaped the church. And this is the ministry that shapes our church today. And then in verse two, the last verse, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is pursuing the church by grace. By grace. It says in uh, Ephesians chapter two, it is by grace you've been saved through faith and is not of your own doing so that no one should boast. When you stand before the judge of heaven, you've got, you've got one ground, one place to stand on. And it is not of your boast. It is the grace of God. When you go before the creator of the universe, after you take your last breath, you won't be able to say to God, look how amazing I am. You'll be able to say to God, thank you for the grace that made me who I am. This is how God pursues us today. This is how God pursued his church back then. As the Apostle Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians 6.11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Paul opened up his heart to give grace to the people that did not deserve it the people that rejected him, the people that wanted nothing to do with him, the people that, that were continually calling for his ouster. Paul says, I open my heart to you. There's a threefold purpose for the, uh, for the letter to the Corinthians. Number one, it was to strengthen and purify the church. That was the first reason why Paul wrote the letter to the church of Corinth. Number two, it's that they might be brought to repentance and give generously to the church in Jerusalem that was going through a famine. Paul wanted to bring a collection from the church of Corinth to the church of Jerusalem because now the church of Jerusalem had need because there was a famine, that they would give generously of their goods so that the church of Jerusalem might survive. And the third reason was that there were still some that were in the church that were rejecting Paul's apostleship. And Paul says, I'm coming. 
And there are those whom I want to repent and return to the teaching of the Lord so they might not be punished. And the grace of God goes to us on that very day. If you have life and breath today, it means that you're a recipient of God's grace, that you are a perfect recipient of God's grace. And that leads to our theme verse here uh, for the book of Corinthians that we're going to unpack as we dive into this glorious book together. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul firmly believed that his message was the message given to him by God the Father and delivered through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul was not the Savior. Jesus was the Savior, and he was a vessel, a treasure in a jar of clay that was meant to point to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that brings that grace into our lives. And you have what is one of my favorite verses of all of 2 Corinthians. This verse that is offered to us today. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God for our sake. This is the application of the message of 2 Corinthians for us today. Are you weak? Do you have need? You're not going to find that in yourself. You're not going to find that in the world around us. You're going to find that in the sufficiency of Christ. And so God's message to you is clear. For our sake, God made him who never sinned to be sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness, the perfection of God. That the perfect performance of Jesus Christ will stand forever in our place as Jesus Christ bore the punishment of our sin for our sake. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the work that you've accomplished, God, in salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come before you today, I pray that we'd be honest about our hearts. Lord, if there's any place of weakness or susceptibility, Lord, that we would not see it as a vulnerability, but we'd see it, God, as an opportunity for you to show your flex, your strength. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us be humble people, that you would help us, Lord, boast in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell more richly in us. In Jesus' name, amen.